Hello, and welcome to the History of Religion podcast. I am Jay Graham, and you are listening to Episode 8 of the History of Christianity series, titled, Christianity Comes Out as Christian. The last episode focused on the events that forced the Christian movement to separate itself from Judaism. After the destruction of the temple, that trajectory will continue as the movement embraces the Greco-Roman culture as its new home. What is termed Jewish Christianity will survive the destruction of the temple, but it will be severed from mainstream Christianity. Some Jewish Christians return to Jerusalem in 135 AD, but by that time they are completely separate from the Christian movement. Christianity begins its coming out as Christian stage after the destruction of the temple. Matthew and Luke were written between 85 and 90, and John between 90 and 110 AD. The story of Christ is further solidified and written in Greek for Greek readers. What is interesting about the works is that eschatology, or the study of the end times, is still very relevant. Last time we saw how the destruction of the temple really put a damper on those that thought the apocalypse was near in Judaism. Many of the sects of Judaism were destroyed during that time, yet Christianity still saw the end as imminent, perhaps even more imminent because of the destruction of the temple. Yet, that apocalyptic tendency was brought more into line with the fact that the Christians had to organize and be independent. The result was that they began to write down apocalyptic themes. The book of Revelation by John is a great example of this. John believed that the end was near, but not near enough to ignore writing it all down. The book of Acts reveals that the church had formed it an identity enough to know its own roots. Luke went about trying to present the early church with its history and its founder's history by writing Acts and the Gospel of Luke, respectively. Overall, the church had come to identify itself as a new movement distinct from Judaism in the latter half of the first century. Yet this newfound independence and identity did come with some strings attached. Judaism had been protected in the Roman Empire as a legal religion because it was so old. There were only a few religions that were semi-tolerated in the empire that were not the Roman state religion. Judaism was one of those legal religions that was sort of tolerated. Christians were already being killed for their faith, as was the case under Nero. But now they had nowhere to hide. They had come out as a new religion and denied two important facts of Roman life. Number one, the emperor was not God. And number two, the gods were not gods, so they could not be worshipped. These two facts led many in the empire to classify the Christians as atheists because they did not believe in the gods, but in only one god. The imperial cult was the worship of the emperor as god, and started with Julius Caesar after he died in 44 BC. Part of Roman religion was sacrificing to the gods, something that the Christians would not do. This meant that the Christians refused to sacrifice to the gods and to the emperor. They were not only going against the religion, but against the empire, and many interpreted that as upsetting the gods and putting the empire in mortal danger. Luckily for the Christians, the two emperors after Nero were not as concerned with killing them. Vespasian ruled from 69 to 79, and Titus from 79 to 81. These years were helpful to the Christians as they became more and more structured. The church gained more and more Gentile converts while still trying to reach out to the Jews across the empire. As the movement claimed to be the fulfillment of Judaism. Yet the influx of Gentiles changed the environment. Most notably, when Jews would enter into the church, they already knew many of the practices and teachings in the movement. Thus, the church had to begin what was called the catechumen. This was a period of time when the new converts were taught the teachings of the new religion and how to act. The most important result of this was that the weekly gatherings of the Christians became split into two parts. The first part was the service of the work, and the second part was the service of the table. Those that had not been baptized were not allowed to participate in the second part of the service, which became known as communion. Also, this all happened outside of the public eye. 
Christians were not meeting in public because the religion was illegal. So most of the early church was meeting in houses, and numbers of congregations would have been constrained to that fact. Yeah, there may have been many house churches around a city, especially if it was a large city like Rome. This brings out another very important point. Christianity was based in cities. That is where the missionary journeys of the disciples were to. Cities were the main centers for the Christian movement, and those cities influenced Christianity there. Just as we saw in Jerusalem with Jewish Christianity, now that the main centers of Christianity were in the Greek and Roman cities, the influence would manifest itself differently. So for all intents and purposes, the Christian movement was doing well by the end of the 70s AD. It had established itself as a new distinct religion in many large cities in the Eastern Roman Empire. But the good times were not to last. Domitian became the emperor in 81 AD, succeeding the emperor Titus. His first few years went by without him noticing the Christians too much, but he had a strong liking to the Roman religion and eventually saw the Christians as both a threat to his religion and his empire. Domitian sought to restore many of the old Roman traditions, and the foreign religions stood in the way of that, including Judaism. After the destruction of the temple, the temple tax went to Rome, but many Jews did not like that and simply would not pay it. The result was a crackdown on Jewish practices, and because the Roman Empire could not distinguish between the Jews and Christians all that well, they lumped the Christians in with anyone who acted like they followed Judaism. Domitian's persecution was more wide than that of Nero's, who only persecuted groups and spots and not throughout the whole empire. Yet even Domitian's persecution was not that great in scope or number. It would not be for a few centuries that the large-scale persecution of Christians began, partly because there simply were not enough Christians to persecute at this time, and they were mainly persecuted as a form of appeasing the gods when the Romans believed that the gods were mad at them for some reason. Domitian's persecution also was at the end of his reign, so around 89 to 96 AD. This is when the book of Revelation was written by John, and probably was heavily inspired by the persecution, as John more than likely was a victim of that persecution. The situation in Rome was pretty bad as an important document tells us called First Clements, which is probably the oldest Christian document outside the New Testament that we have. Some scholars argue that it was written before 70 AD, but it looks more like around 96 AD, at the end of the reign of Domitian, because it speaks of the persecution in Rome at the time. The letter was a response to issues in the Corinthian church from the bishop of Rome at the time named Clements, who was considered the third pope by the Catholic Church. What the persecutions helped to form in the Christian movement was the idea of martyrdom, which was carried over from Judaism. Jewish sects held that those who were martyred for their faith would go immediately into God's presence. A great example was what the Essenes did with the Romans as they marched out to be slaughtered. Christianity kept this idea of martyrdom, and it really began to develop strongly in the second half of the first century as the New Testament writers wrote of martyrs and embracing of persecution for the glory of God. With the death of the Apostle John at the end of the first century, the first generation of Christianity ends. The church is in an interesting position as it enters into the second century. The church itself is spread out across major cities in the Roman Empire and beyond. The church is firmly established in Greece, Italy, and in the Palestine area, with other centers popping up in Asia Minor, Egypt, and Armenia. Furthermore, the church has just survived almost a decade of its second persecution by the state. The new generation of Christians will have to grapple with issues without the authority of the disciples, which means that they will have to point back to those disciples and their works in order to justify their positions. The church is now facing the Roman Empire and the Greco-Roman world head-on as it tries to survive as a new religion. The second century only gets more interesting. So join me next time here on the History of Religion podcast as we wrap up this century and begin to delve into the second century.